swim to a super secret island on the Pacific Rim. And all they've got are their movies and each other. All they've got are their movies and each other. Harry might actually be a volleyball. It's Mike and Harry's Desert Island Movie Podcast. Welcome to the Desert Island Movie Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Harry. This episode is brought to you by Islands. Try the new Desert Island Movie Podcast Burger. We recommend pairing it with the new Desert Island Mojito, which is served in an exact replica of my face as a volleyball. It's disturbing and very grisly. It's served at 107 degrees temperature. It is boiling hot. But once again, like we've said before, it's not about the taste, it's about the Desert Island experience. If you tell the waiter the offer code Desert Island Mike and Harry, you get a free punch in the mouth. Rush to islands today. Mike, do you see two bodies washing up on the shore of our desert island? Oh hey, my what? god, hey guys, we were just chilling on the beach. That's my, my close friends, Jaime and Sarah of the Ots to Be Queer podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I think you've mentioned them before. Aren't all three of you also members of, uh, it's called Pageant, right? It's a sketch comedy team based out of the Pack Theater in Hollywood. It's funny you should met. we do have a show coming up. Oh my god, yeah, we do. I mean, um... We're going to put it on, on the island this time, right? It's all broadcasting live from the island. We, we do all our shows broadcast now because of me, because I'm stranded. So everybody's accommodating me, which is sweet. So everyone, everyone is accommodating for Harry, but no one is rescuing him. <laughs> we figured it'd be easier just to like, let Harry stay in place. Like. <laughs> I guess I want him to ask for help first, you know? It's like, he needs to advocate for himself. I'm not ready for that. I'm not going to do it. Uh, well, you still have more work to do then. <laughs> okay. Sunday, September 27th, it's Jaime's birthday, and it's Pageant's next Zoom comedy show at twitch.tv slash packtheater. What do the two of you think about Gelson's? I feel like that's Gelson's. I'm only ever in a Gelson's if I, like, parked in their parking lot. Absolutely. I'm using their parking lot, and I'm afraid that they're, like, they're going to come round us up because we're not actually going into the Gelson's, so then we end up going in and buying like some guava sodas, and then we walk out. I think I know the exact parking lot you're talking about. <laughs> parking in front of Gelson's to go to UCB, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you're not crashing onto the desert island that we're stranded on, uh, you're recording a podcast of your own. Do you want to tell tell us a little bit about it? Oh my god, yeah, we're, uh, we have a podcast, Sarah, it's called, we do. yeah, it's called Odds to be Queer, Odds to be we queer. watch, go for it, Sarah, you give them a, give us a 2000s comedy movies, and we look for queer characters in them, um, I know it's, like, not ethical to, to say that somebody's, like, gay before they've come out, but, um, you know, it's 2000s comedy movies, and we make the rules for it, so... Yeah, we used to do really shitty ones, and then we realized that we're like, we can do fun ones because we feel horrible doing shitty movies. Yeah, shitty movies, uh, they only have so much staying power. And by staying power, I mean three episodes, and then we were like, let's do uh, a superhero (laughs) story or hairspray, (laughs) something fun. Yeah, for our mental health. What is the best and worst movie that you guys have covered? The worst is because I said so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole episode is like an intense. I don't even know what that is. is. Because I said so, starring Diane Keaton, Mandy Moore, um, Lauren Graham, and Piper Perelman. Laura Ingram. Laura yeah. Ingram. God, yeah. she she would be more warm and motherly than Diane Keaton is, and because I said so. Uh, my favorite that we've done was Beverly Hills Chihuahua. That one's great. 
My favorite that we've done is actually pretty recently, Raise Your Voice. And our favorite that we just did, that'll be coming out soon, is Hairspray. Hairspray. (laughs) Business aside, you guys are here on vacation on the island. Yes. You know, lots of sugar. Lots of lots of Sugar Ray, lots of Mark McGrath, so much and you you guys within your podcast, you have the parameters of 2000 to 2009. So while you're here on vacation, you guys should cut loose. Are there any non 2000 movies you want to talk about? Oh my God! You know it was a good year. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, the blimp, the Goodyear blimp is a <laughs> blimp. That's a good year. Yeah. But you know it's also a good year. Ninety eight. <laughs> 98's a good year, and you know what a a very good, unusual, underlying theme is? Cases of mistaken identity. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so yeah. hot. That's right, Sarah. Oh, I, wait, Jaime. I, oh, you guys are identical. I got you too confused. We wanted to, like, chill out on the beach and pop in a DVD on our portable DVD player, and that pop movie in. happened to be the 1998 version of The Parent Trap. And and fortunately, uh, for me and Harry, who we decided to watch The Big Lebowski, the beginning of this podcast might suggest that we had no idea that you were going to wash ashore today or be here. But fortunately, all four of us actually prepared by watching both the mentioned movies. Such a coincidence. It's such a coincidence. The world world is small. The world is small. Like, what is the coincidence of sending both your daughters to the same summer camp in 1998 on the East Coast? That's a good question that that leads into our first movie today. Nancy Myers' The Parent Trap from 1998. Why the sudden curiosity about your dad, huh? Mother, you can't avoid the subject forever. At least tell me what he was like. I want to talk to you about my mother. What about your mother? Dad, I'm almost 12. How long do you expect me to buy that story that the stork dropped me on your doorstep? Everyone in the world believes they're unique in their own way. Annie James and Hallie Parker are about to discover. This is so freaky. They're both unique in the same way. That's my mom. That's my dad. And you and I are like, like sisters. I think we should switch places. I'll go back to London as you, and you go back to California as me. If we switch, they'll have to unstitch us. And when they do, they'll have to meet again face to face. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. Mom's amazing. Don't know how you ever let her go. I wish I may. I wish I might. Disney's The Parent Trap. Parent Trap from 1998 was was your pick this week. I had never seen this movie before. I don't know how, because it seems like a movie that my family would have watched when I was little, and it just kind of like slipped through the cracks, I guess. I could not believe how crazy this movie is. First off, it's two hours and ten minutes long, which seems about 40 minutes longer than it should be. Uh, it's like, it's unlike a lot of movies that I think I've seen before, which feels weird to say, because I was expecting just kind of a very typical, like, family comedy. It's subversive. Uh, that's the first word that comes to mind when I think about Nancy Meyer's Parent Trap. So, Lindsay Lohan plays either Annie or Hallie, and I have trouble dis- distinguishing between the two, but... 
they have this massive set piece where um, where they need like a big Ruth Goldberg machine, like that scene um, early, like in the yeah. first act, yeah. where um, she just trashes other Lindsay Lohan's cabin, and that seems very '90s, very post. Uh, Home Alone. Yeah, we call that the Culkin effect. It's uh, Home Alone. Like it's like kids Matilda. Are like, yeah, kids there in the '90s were like really good at hijinks, you know. Mm-hmm. Where it was Scary like, good. Yeah, like I wonder. My big question in that part was like, where did they get that whole bucket of chocolate syrup? Mm-hmm. Like in such short notice. And, and how did they have enough like self restraint to be like? We're gonna use this for hijinks, not just drink all of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would have definitely, I would have dunked my head in. Yeah, just to know. <laughs> do they sell chocolate and drums like that? Is that real? They do for summer camps, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and this scene comes shortly after uh, a poker montage, where <laughs> Bad to the Bone is playing while the two of them have like a poker battle, which comes shortly after they have a a very intense sword fight. <laughs> Yeah, they kill each other. A lot of really, really crazy uh, kind of pitting the two low hands against each other for like the first 45 minutes of this movie, basically. And then like the actual movie begins. I was surprised how long it took to get to them like realizing they were twins. Like when I was a kid, I feel like it happened so fast. But yeah, it definitely, there's like a buildup of like them just like hating each other for a really long time. Honey, that's called suspense. That's a cinematic yeah. language. <laughs> and both the Lohans and and none of the camp counselors seem at all like perturbed by the fact that they're identical. <laughs> and didn't know each other prior to this moment. But yeah, nobody yeah. no none of the adults at the camp. Well, I guess it's only Marva and Marv Jr., right? God bless their souls. Yeah, they're running yeah. everything. They're cooking, they're cleaning. Oh my god, yeah. That's why it was so easy to steal a drum of chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to be a very smart child to get away with it. I guess it explains, the isolation cabin kind of explains why maybe it's able to just be two people, because the when they don't like what the kids are doing, instead of punishing them in a in an adult way, they, they bring them to a cabin and just make them be alone for weeks, it seems. <laughs> they're like two less kids <laughs> God. <laughs> they've got they've got like 17 isolation cabins scattered around the area <laughs> before we go too much further we should probably do a quick uh like a quick rundown of the the plot for people who haven't yeah. seen the parent trap i was just the about to say wanna... can one of you take a stab at it because there's there's a lot of plot yeah so yeah. in um whatever 11 years before 1998 is um <laughs> Um, unlikely souls meet a British woman and an American man meet and they get married like a they have like a shotgun wedding on a boat and then cut to 11 years later um, they both send their daughters to the same summer camp massive coincidence the daughters have been separated their whole lives and like so they they meet up at the summer camp at, at, at first they are like hesitant to acknowledge the fact that they are in somehow related but like in intrinsically they know they know that they that there's some bond between them and then uh they they put the pieces together and figure out hey your mom is my mom 
Your dad is my dad. Uh, this land is your land. This land is my land. They literally put the pieces together. The two pieces of the same photo. <laughs> two pieces of the same uh, torn apart photo of their parents. That they have with them at summer <laughs> camp. If this happened today, they'd smash the phones together and it would make a fucking photo. Well, they, they, <laughs> they'd airdrop their parents' After After they figure out that they're, they're, they have the same parents... Two of them decide to switch places. Yeah, they both can perfectly mimic the other's accent, even though one has a British accent and one has an American accent. But they know how to mimic each other's voices perfectly. Then one heads to uh, Napa Valley, California. The other one is in uh, London, England. Um, but the, the the main, I guess, push of the plot is happening in Napa Valley, where um, one of the Lindsay Lohans finds out that uh, the father is getting married to what she assumes is an evil woman, which like, editors note like, sorry, women can't be evil it's a fucking movie women can't uh, want stability yeah, women can't want like, fu- like anyways, it's not okay if they prefer <laughs> their three anyway um, so, so they're like, so the twins are like, oh we have to stop this, we have to get our parents together, and by virtue of getting them together, we will get um us together and we'll lead happy full lives together as sisters this is like one of my favorite movies of all time and i still think that there's a lot of shit in it that i'm like hmm (laughs) i like like harry had mentioned that the two of them are able to just switch places and kind of perfectly mimic each other each other's accents and it got to the point where I actually, as an audience member, got slightly confused as to who was who, like, pretty early on, because of how perfectly, <laughs> how perfectly they seem to fill each other's roles, like, without any, uh, roadblocks. <laughs> yeah, not, their mannerisms, they, they have it down. I, I also got to that point very early on, to the point where I was like, oh, I'm glad that they're wearing different clothes, but the clothes aren't different <laughs> enough for me to know who the fuck yeah. is who. <laughs> Hallie would wear like jean jacket, or like Annie as Hallie would wear like jean jackets, right? And sunglasses on her head, like a little mom. And then Aunt <laughs> Hallie as Annie in, in London would wear like little suits, like little skirt, little like Jackie O suits. Yeah. The two of them, like like we've said, there's, uh, this is like hijinks the movie. Hijinks to um, the max, <laughs> honestly. Right up until the very end. I mean, that, that, that camping scene, I don't, I don't know if we want to save it for later, but I do want to touch on that camping scene more let's start at the end let's start with the camping scene it happens and then five minutes happens and then the movie ends i didn't remember it being that quick like i thought it was much longer yeah and it just works as a as a device to get rid of meredith i feel like they kind of wrote themselves into a quarter and they're like oh shit meredith fuck we (laughs) we didn't get rid of her like i feel like it makes sense for them to because prior to the camping scene they like the the mom uh, realizes that she has the wrong daughter and has to like reconcile with the dad so they can like switch the daughters back. But in in doing that, the the Annie and Hallie uh, connive with Annie's, or I guess it's just their rich grandpa to charter a boat to like like relaunch that spark between mom and dad. So it makes sense for them to like get together there, and then you come back to the hotel and Meredith sees it and like that's where she leaves but they're like no no no, we're gonna go fucking camping and it's also like a really strange turn because the parents decide like you know what this is actually isn't gonna work out you know they're just trying to get us together let's just like finish this dinner and then take them back home 
Yeah. And then, yeah, they're going to still go camping. And then the mom has, like, a last-minute plan to send Meredith off to, like, which is not very clear to us, um, to, like, show their dad that she's horrible or whatever. And then, I don't know. I, Every minute of this movie is indispensable and nothing needs to be changed. So, speaking of the camping trip, like you kind of alluded to, there's like a switcheroo happens with the camping trip where like for seemingly no reason their mother decides to just replace herself on the trip with Meredith to kind of like allow for this whole thing to happen and it was at that point that I started thinking about how Dennis Quaid in this movie is like a lovable idiot oh, uh, Dennis Quaid is a moron yeah, yeah well that's the like thing is like this whole arrangement so is like an extreme case of like him being extremely clueless yeah you know because it's like he let them like the mom was like i wanted you to chase me back in the day but you just let me go and he's like i didn't know you wanted (laughs) and he clearly he clearly still really likes the mother like the minute he sees her he's not like oh my god why is she here he's like like, yeah yeah, they're like fully in love still like there's no they still had major sparks but it's like she the mom before they leave she's like oh i can't stand him i hate him but he's so yeah. cute. Yeah. <laughs> like, why did they break up? She threw exactly. a hairdryer at him, right? I think, yeah, so as I was gonna say, I think there was, like, physical abuse there happening physical at abuse. the end of the relationship. But, like, I don't know. Like, you never, it's not like I, that would have added another 40 minutes to the movie. Yeah. Like, so, with Dennis Quaid, though, I, I started thinking about it, though, with the camping trip, which is, even though he's a big idiot, he he clearly loves the mother still and and he clearly he clearly wants what is best for his daughters so it dawned on me during the camping scene that if anyone would have just gone to him an hour earlier and said we hate Meredith because she's mean to us when you're not around he probably would have been like oh then I won't marry her but instead, like, we have to torture her on a camping trip. Again. Well, that's my <laughs> thing. It's like, why did he let them torture her for so long on that camping trip? Like, I do love when when we cut to Dennis Quaid and, like, the facial expression is just always like, oh, you kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Incorrigible. What, what I think is crazy is it's implied, not implied, I think it's outright stated by Chessie, who's the, the like, she's Hallie's, like, housekeeper. A real Christian name. Sounds like one of my it's sketch okay. characters' names. <laughs> Chessie tells Annie playing Hallie. This movie's fucking nuts. <laughs> Just I feel like having to describe anything. Like, this movie's like, it fucking blows my <laughs> It's like full. You gotta get that limitless yeah. pill to fully understand it. But it's a <laughs> limitless pill. We should have chosen Limitless. Yeah. Limitless and Lucy. We could yeah, Lucy. You have to be able to access all of your brain. Oh God, Lucy. No, but, uh, Lucy. Anyway. She says that in the course of this month-long summer camp, dumbass Dennis Quaid like met this publicist and decided to marry her. He had to have met Meredith the day his daughter took off. <laughs> Unless he met her like a week ago, which like that that would also make that would also track with this character. They had already been talking on OkCupid. Okay <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. On dial-up OkCupid. Okay well, like, um, I think that um, this, like, camp... Or not camping trip, but, like, the summer camp was, like, rumspringa for, like, all the rich parents <laughs> to, like, fuck off and do whatever they wanted the whole month. And I feel like 
Dennis Quaid, like, seemed, his character, unfortunately to me, seemed kind of Republican. Like, yeah, 100%. You know? So and Republican. so I feel like Republicans love, like, getting married really fast. They're like, <laughs> they need another Republican person or white person. They're like, this is fate. He's a white man in the 90s wearing a cowboy hat in California. Driving a Range so, Rover. He is... Yeah, so it's not... He's 100% a Republican. Republicans love meeting other white women who are 40 years younger than them and saying, next week... We're, get let's married. get married in four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> also, I have a daughter, you, a daughter you haven't met and another daughter I haven't told you about because she's a secret. This is a movie that I feel is kind of like a touchstone for a lot of people our age like i i've seen this movie so many times because we had the vhs tape and i think for me and there was a certain point probably around the camping trip where i remember as a kid always being like oh okay i kind of want to go play with toys but i have seen at least like 80 percent of this movie like probably dozens of times um do you have like a first memory of watching this movie or like do you remember when you first saw it i first saw it it used to come on disney channel a lot when i was a kid Mm-hmm. And I don't think I remember like the first time I saw it because I'm sure the first time I saw it I was just like probably like advertised a bunch that they were gonna like play Parent Trap, and then I remember distinct. I have a distinct memory of like our family went to like Disneyland for the first time, and then I got home that night, and my mom like tucked me into bed and put the TV on, and Parent Trap was on, oh. and so I think that that that's why the movie has such like sentimental value for me is because like imagine just having gone to disneyland for the first time as a child and then you come home and the best movie of your life is on tv you know it was like just like such a win for me i don't have like a a a crystal clear like oh this is the first time i watched the parent Trap. but what is crystal clear in my memory and like has stayed with me is um the poster to the parent trap the poster of the parent trap because I I would see it every it, uh, I I would go to the mall with my parents and I would see it just like massive every time and I always made eye contact with the two Lindsays and it, it was a while I had to like grow out of like thinking Lindsay Lohan was two children yeah which is an interesting point actually because I think this movie accomplishes the two of them playing two separate roles like shockingly well well. yeah for the time i i was always surprised i was like how did they do that so i was like i'm not gonna believe that Lindsay lohan isn't two people like because it was 1998 they didn't have the technology and i think in the original parent trap it was like actual twins playing (laughs) which is like surprising that they wouldn't have just gone that route because i don't even think i believe this was Lindsay lohan's feature film debut so it's not even like she was like a massive child star um, so the fact that they they went that route is, I mean, I think it's kind of like made this a uh, like a family classic, and it's probably in large part because of Lindsay Lohan. It always makes me really sad to think about like the girl who had to play uh, whatever twin was like turned her head was turned to the camera, you know? Yeah, the over the shoulders. I was, that like, was Anna dang, Kendrick. Like... It was probably like an adult, <laughs> honestly. It was a back scratcher with a wig on top of it. It was uh, <laughs> like a tennis ball on a stick. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was a volleyball, actually. I think the nanny Chessie <laughs> and the butler Martin are two of the highlights of this movie. If you guys had to pick one of them that was your favorite and why, who would you pick? First off, both those bitches are gay. 
Yeah, I was about to say, like, <laughs> you're asking us to pit the LGBTQ community against yeah. each other. <laughs> 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 um, are gay. I, I don't, I'd rather, I like Chessie more, but that's just because I think, like, Chessie's hot and, like, is, like, really chill. And Martin's chill, too. But, like, I don't know. Chessie just has, like, I feel like Chessie seems more of somebody who, like, really, like, is part of the family versus, like, Martin. There's a part when, like, um, I think, like, uh, Natasha Richardson's character is like, Martin, I want you to come on this trip because, like, you're kind of like, um, like a brother who just happens to wait on us. And I, I don't know if it's just because, like, they're so posh. But I feel like Martin, it's like, as much as he seemed, like, cool with the family, I still felt like... This is just their employee who like yeah. happens to be really chill with a little girl, but Chessie feels like she lives there and she's like kind of I don't know, like actually like she's kind of filled this mother role for um Hallie. Yeah, no, I, I see that for sure. She's making um, cornbread and chili and fucking bacon and eggs, like it, Martin's not pulling his weight. Was he knows how to do a handshake? Handshake. Get <laughs> the hell out of here. Got a handshake. But I do want to talk about how they are definitely like I, it's gay. Like I think it was because like I saw a tweet a couple of months back that was talking about that. But it was funny because the last time I watched it in the beginning of quarantine, and before I saw that tweet, and I also made a comment uh, that like I was thinking like. They're like I don't know. At least like definitely Martin like reads so gay to me. Yeah. And like, but Chessie does too. Like, and <laughs> I think like people like, they were put together because it's like I don't know. It was complicated. I think like I feel like I would see my mom. Like I can imagine watching this with my mom, and her like seeing them get together and her just being so delighted and laughing. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I think it was for that, but I also kind of like, I, not only do I hate that they like put two characters that are obviously gay together, I kind of hate that it was like, look at the, the two, the help is getting together. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I felt that too. I, I felt that. One of the first things I thought of when that happened was hey, in, in like movies like this, when the point of the movie is two particular characters getting together and then they start making side characters get together i get really worried about the friend and family dynamic moving forward if anyone breaks up again yeah <laughs> chessie was jealous of dennis quaid i think that's what i think yeah remember uh. she says there's a line when they send the like the girls go off to camp with meredith and the dad she's like i pay a lot of money to watch her climb a mountain and I was like, I would too, Jesse. <laughs> For the same reasons as you, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. But Elaine Hendricks's Meredith is like, um, I don't know. I, I used to think when I was a kid, I used to think like, this is a fucking villain. Like yeah. they really sold that to me. Watching it as an adult, like she really doesn't do anything bad besides like make a couple comments that she's going to ship them off. But, like, I don't blame her when she's, like, I just want to be in this relationship with this man and have stability and, like, live a fabulous life. And I just met his daughter, who she tried to be nice to, Mm -hmm. like, in the beginning. And then, like, Annie was immediately so mean to her. Annie was really mean to her. I enjoyed every minute of this movie, but it really started to kind of pick up for me, especially when, like, the, like, all the, like, hotel lobby shit starts going on. 
and everyone is everyone's intersecting with everyone i was like i was like this is great the whole hotel like lobby scenario kind of leads up to the moment that dennis quaid sees natasha richardson across the pool and then he falls into the pool and like in that moment i realized that i was sitting at 1 30 a.m watching the parent trap as a 26 year old person and i was sitting there watching it with just the biggest smile on my face <laughs> and i was like and i was like wait what's going on here like am i like i was not expecting to like enjoy this movie nearly as much as I did and I'm glad that I did but like there was something about that moment that was like it had me I don't know when it happened or why it happened but by that point it had me completely on the hook the two of you picked this movie to talk about today what how did you come about this movie together and and uh what is it about this movie that you might consider to be like a a desert island movie pick of yours I I don't have like as storied a background with this movie as like Sarah does um, but, uh, I, and I hesitate to say this because I don't like, um, like nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, but it, it, it is like childhood, like that, that poster of, 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 like, I'm looking at it right now, that poster of the two Lindsay Lohans, just like, like slyly like, oh, we've got a plan to get these two together like that. It's, it's comforting. To me. It's comfort food. It, it's absolute comfort food. And, um... Lindsay Lohan is so good in it. Meryl Streep wishes. Um, I think, like, I agree with kind of what Jaime is saying is, like, nostalgia. I feel like I watched, like, I don't know. This movie, to me, I've seen so many times. And, like, every time is delightful. And I think that, like, I watched in the beginning of quarantine. And I was like, this is exactly what I needed. And It works. It just works all the way through. Even if it's yeah. veiny. Yeah. I think, like, for me, it's this thing of, like, I, I, I imagine, like, having, if this movie had come out when I was working in a movie theater, I know I would have seen this movie a bunch of times whenever I was just bored yeah. or, like, just needed, like, had a really bad day. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just think it's, like, really cool. Like, watching it as an adult now, I think it's, like, it's such a, like, it. you said, like, it made you smile the part when they're, like, meeting up at the pool. And I think that... Like, it's the same thing where it's just, like, every single music cue, every single time somebody figures out who's Annie and who's Hallie, <laughs> it's, like, I, I'm still crying, like, years later. Um, oh, my God, when Natasha Chessie finds Richardson's, out. Yeah, oh, my God, when Chessie, when Chessie finds, finds out. out. I, it's just a perfect movie. It's one of those movies I don't even think is, like, it's so comforting, but then also it, it's just, like, you know, like, when you watch a movie that a lot of people loved when they were a kid and you finally see it as an adult and it just, like, you're like, I don't really get it. Or, like, I think mm-hmm. I missed the wave of, like, enjoying it. I think also it fulfills, like, this weird fantasy of, like, I remember one time hearing, like, that guy who wrote Love, Paul Rust, has this theory that, like, people love Back to the Future because it, like, fulfills the fantasy of, like, your parents getting back together, you know? Or, like, getting <laughs> your parents back together. And I think it's a little bit of that with this movie and also just, like, seeing these two kids have this outlandish plan and it, like, succeeds. Like, they succeed in this, like, really, like, crazy fucking plan that they put together. Totally understand everything you're saying, too. And I thought that Parent Trap would be something that I kind of, like, missed the nostalgia wave on. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to be nostalgic for this movie because I I don't think that's probably going to happen at this age. But it's a movie now where, like, I get it. 
and the next time I see it on like ABC Family when I'm flipping channels, it could be a movie that just ends up like I just stop on it because and now it's just on in the background a lot as I do chores and stuff like that. It feels like that type of movie, which is kind of exactly what a Desert Island movie is supposed to be, like one of those endlessly watchable, feel-good things that you don't need to uh, commit too much thought to. Well, don't you think that because, I mean, we've talked about how crazy so many of these scenes are in this and how there's so many moving parts in this, don't you think because there's so many crazy scenes, if it was just on and you just, like, dropped in at any point in the movie, you could still enjoy, like, whatever scene you're in. Yeah. And, like, get yeah, something kind of feel good out of it. Yeah. If I if I dropped in on the fucking hotel scene, I'm like, oh, it's done. I'm mm-hmm. watching the hotel scene. So I feel like that kind of wraps it up for The Parent Trap. Uh, we are on to our next movie for this episode, which also deals with crazy convoluted plots with lots going on that are fun to watch and a case of mistaken identity and that is also 1998's The Big Lebowski directed by the Coen brothers wait, wait let, me, let me explain something to you um, I am not Mr. Lebowski I'm the dude you know uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or uh, you know El Duderino if you're not into the whole brevity thing are you employed Mr. Lebowski Employed? Jeff Lebowski, the other Lebowski, the millionaire. I received this ransom note this morning. This is a bummer, man. They want you to take the money and act as courier. What do you mean, man? What the hell is this? My dirty undies, dude. The whites. Let's take that hell! Why should we settle for 20 grand when we can keep the entire million? I know you're mixed up in all this. Playing one side against the other in bed with everybody. Blow them. Huh? Fabulous stuff. What? Who's sitting on a million dollars? We want some money. Sitting in the trunk of our car. Where's my damn money? This could be a a, a lot more uh, uh, complex. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know? The Big Lebowski was our, our counterpick to, to Parent Trap, mainly because of the fact that there's there's two characters who are mistaken for the other one in this movie. That was kind of our in here. Uh, but it also kind of became exciting when we found out that neither of you have seen it. And, uh, and neither you or Harry have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for me, and I, and I think Harry, and for I think a lot of people, The Big Lebowski is a movie that is kind of just ingrained in our, like cultural vocabulary and it's kind of fun to imagine talking to someone about it in a way that is is fresh because this movie is like very odd most people say it takes a couple watches to like start to pick up on on some of like the the more in jokes i guess that being said i also don't pretend to be uh i mean people have like analyzed this movie to death at this point i've never really like read books on it like i know there are or anything so uh i'm sure that i lack you know some of that but uh i think it might be fun to start there just you know generally speaking what were your initial reactions to the big lebowski um well when i when i first saw that you guys wanted to do the big lebowski i was like what the fuck is that is that like a fucking old people movie No, no. I mean, uh, the Big Lebowski has always been in. It always comes up in conversation. I know that it's like a part of the cultural lexicon. I just, I never, I'd never gotten around to it. 
What was surprising to me was I realized that I didn't have any expectations or any information going into this as to what this even was about, even though I, like, knew the name for my whole life. Like, I always knew that this movie existed, but somehow had avoided, like, any information about it, and I never read the plot on Wikipedia or anything out of curiosity. Um, And, yeah, so it was... I always, like, feel like when I watch cult classics like this, or even just, like, critically acclaimed classics, I'm always, like, it feels strange for me because I feel like enough people have already seen it and experienced Mm -hmm. it, you know, where it doesn't, it feels, like, really strange to be watching it and try to come out with a a new experience or try to, like, you know have some sort of connection to it because yeah like meeting the massive expectations of like pop culture basically. that's exactly right. it that's exactly yeah it. like even as i was watching it i i yeah i thought about like the distance between like okay this is where everybody is on the big lebowski this is like the the the, the culturally like agreed upon like how we think about the big lebowski and then there's me it was like still just experiencing it for the first time and like i don't i don't know what i'm gonna come out with on the other side people have kind of built their lives around this movie and it's a large subculture who are just so so obsessed with the big lebowski that it like really dictates kind of how they live their daily lives like people there is a group of people who aspire to be uh like the dude there's a religion based on the dude um called dude dudism (laughs) and it has a lot of quote-unquote followers online uh and and yeah like the the philosophy is just like uh kind of like the last line in this movie uh taken or easy for all of us i i was watching this and i was like i cannot imagine how many like now this explains so many stoner dudes i know Mm -hmm. who like have no job and no ambition I'm like, oh my god, they like yeah. really model their life around this character, which mm-hmm. like he's cool, and I think like there's stuff to take away from his like philo- his I guess lack of philosophy, but it's like their lives aren't directed by the Cohen yeah. brothers. Bro, you know? like, like they have real world consequences and responsibility, and yeah i i think that also i kind of came out of this feeling like was i supposed to experience it like this gonna sound like literally but like the dude you know or it's like you're supposed to just like take it for what it is and kind of just like be along for the ride and just like roll with it i i think to some extent that is the opening of the movie is following a tumbleweed that drifts through all parts of Los Angeles. And I think that that's kind of supposed to be the vibe of the movie is we're kind of like, we're rolling through all these like set pieces and locations and odd characters and stuff. And just kind of like needing to like take it all in. Cause there's so much to take in and all of it kind of amounts to nothing, uh, which yeah. is something that is, is very funny about this movie. And also I think kind of jarring the first time around, cause it's very convoluted in some ways and and there's basically no payoff i it's weird i asked you guys before uh we like before we recorded what your experience was or if you'd like met people who were super into it um because like this is a movie that i've kind of grown to really appreciate and like on my own because Mm. for the longest time i think my parents saw it when it first came out and they hated it like they didn't understand Uh, it and they thought it was dumb um and i remember like, it would always come up when I would, like, you know, when I would want to look for, like, a comedy movie to watch. Um, and then I think I did eventually watch it, like, f- 
freshman year of college uh, with some friends. Um, and it was, I think, right around the time that I had seen like Sunset Boulevard or some like old noir thing. So for me, this movie isn't like the quotes that get quoted all the time or like the dude's like the dude's approach to the world. The reason this movie like works for me and the reason I still come back to it and I find it so funny is that it's basically just like a convoluted 1950s noir, but if like the dumbest people alive <laughs> are, like at the center of it, yeah. which is, is something yeah. the Coen yeah. brothers are yeah. doing yeah. in other movies. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I, this movie is so funny. And I, I, my mom has come around on it because I was like, oh, that's, I, that's the reason why I liked it. So she rewatched it and now it's like a movie that she watches a lot if it's on TV. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, it's a movie that I think like the the things to me that stick out to it in a way almost aren't the things that are popular about it i I would also say that i've kind of grown because my brother like in his college friends and stuff got really into this movie when he was in college and that's when i watched it the first time and i was kind of like oh whatever but i definitely think i've kind of come to appreciate it too a little bit separate from that that subculture that we're talking about a little bit which is to say that yeah i mean it's just it's i think it's a really unique movie that does do kind of genre and and strange character blends in a way that is uh, kind of unlike a lot of things. Like, it's become a reference point for movies that have followed. But yeah, I mean, like, for me, so much of this movie is just seeing all these really good actors kind of make the most and and turn, like, make the most of, of all of these, like, really odd moments uh, and kind of turn very unusual lines that wouldn't be memorable lines in another movie into like these like crazy quotable lines like you just like seeing jeff bridges say something as simple as that's a bummer man but he's like he's like choking on on like weed smoke as he's saying it like then that just becomes like a thing where now everyone's like like oh that's a bummer man like because when he it's just it's the whole movie is moments like that which is just impressive to me that like something can I mean, the Coen brothers are great, but I feel like unintentionally become such a, a cornerstone of pop culture is just a weird thing to kind of look into, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, like, I one thing that really stuck out to me was after, like, all this crazy shit would happen, like, in whatever scene, there was always, like, a, oh, well, let's just go, or let's go bowling, or let's go get food or something, or let's go, mm-hmm. you know? And it was funny, because I was, like, I mean, like, I was thinking, like, I say that all the time, but no, I was thinking like, <laughs> That's you know, it's me. Like it, it was like, it kind of, I saw like moments in my life a little bit where I was like, you know, you could have like the worst fucking day ever go through something and then you're like, I'm exhausted. Let me just go hang out with my friends or let me just go yeah. do this thing I always do. Mm-hmm. And I think like, that was kind of why, yeah, I think I was kind of amazed by this character, this unlikely, like, character that's kind of like a loser being put in this position where he has to, like, do something, <clears throat> like, really intense, you know? Yeah, like, do, doing something remarkable. <laughs> like, yeah, a money yeah. drop off, yeah. I was also kind of, like, uh, it shattered my, like, expectations a little bit in the beginning, my, like, very little expectations I did have. The beginning where um, we like meet him, and then he gets like kind of like he gets uh, like confronted in his own home, and they're like fucking like give us money, your fucking wife or whatever, <laughs> and he's like I'm not that guy, and then I realize like oh this, and I looked around at like I'm like looking at the scene and like his fucking place and stuff and who he is, and I'm like oh this guy is like 
fucking nothing. Like, <laughs> I was kind of like, oh shit. shit. I, <laughs> I was like, I have to follow this character who really isn't like, is not like if you wrote down, Remarkable, like, yeah. imagine, yeah, imagine trying to write down like a character profile of like who, like, the dude is, you know, like, and you have like no script and no like fucking like story or whatever. Yeah, or imagining the version of this movie that was not made by the Coen brothers where the dude is not played by Jeff Bridges. Like, and it's just like, God, that would be awful. And it just doesn't work, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dude, is a, the dude is a man who lays on the floor of his room with a big smile on his face listening to bowling playoffs on cassette. <laughs> <laughs> his Richard bowling. Yeah, I want that so bad. Oh, my God. It's really good, yeah. <laughs> I like feel like I would have really liked this movie in high school. Like I would have, lo- like I would have really loved it in high school, and really like felt like fuck. This is making me think. Um, <laughs> but it's really like I don't know. Like I feel like you don't have. You can just kind of like relax and enjoy what it is, you know. Which it actually, mm. I don't know. I kind of liked that the movie was like nothing and a lot at the same time, you know. Yeah. And I feel like. I don't know. Like, I feel like the nihilist and fucking like Walter and uh, the dude like had a lot more in common than you're like supposed to think, you know? Yeah. Or it's like their lifestyles are kind of like I guess like their philosophy deep down is kind of the same, you know? Um, it it made me think like a movie doesn't have to be like this or that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's true for a lot of a lot of the the Coen Brothers movies that I love. Yeah. They are very much like everything and nothing at the same time um have you guys seen burn after reading no no, no. i saw hail caesar I'm probably i saw hail caesar as well that's yeah. another I one where i felt like i was like nothing happened but then, it yeah. it's also like a lot it was happened. Fun. <laughs> but a yeah. lot happened and it, it's I like hail, saying something deeper yeah i think hail caesar and burn after reading are probably two of the closest to big lebowski uh, I think Burn After Reading in particular, because it was like made, I think, like exactly 10 years after Big Lebowski. And it's also like, the Big Lebowski was what they made after they got a shit ton of recognition for Fargo and like won Oscars. And so instead of just delivering another Oscar movie, they were like, hmm, we, we had this idea for a movie about this guy who is based off of someone they know and work with on their films, where they just essentially put him in like a noir. Um... And so the Burn After Reading is the same thing. They just won a bunch of Oscars for No Country for Old Men. Um, and instead of making, like, another Oscar movie, they made, like, this, but it's uh, espionage with a bunch of idiots at the center instead of, like, a noir. Yeah. Um, but the, it's... It's, like, it's idiots stumbling into <laughs> a Idiots stumbling a into something much deeper and bigger than... Into a, they're basically stumbling into a movie plot. Exactly, yeah. And then just sort of, like, <laughs> watching that play out with... It's weird because, like, everything they do in this movie runs counter to what you expect someone in a movie to do, but seems way more in line with what a normal person would do. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if I fucked up the money handoff, I probably too would be like, well, I'm really stressed. I need to go, like, unwind. So let's go mm-hmm. to the bowling alley. Right. Speaking of the scene where they fuck up the money handoff, I love that they play the Creedence Clearwater revival song, Run Through the Jungle, to try to, like, make it feel like a Vietnam movie for a second, as that, like, as Vietnam Walter's, like, treating it like a crazy mission, and he's wearing his, like, camo, or his green, he's like... He's got a gun. Like, yeah, he has an Uzi or whatever, and, uh, uh, I love that in that scene, though, it's every single time I watch this movie, I realize in that scene 
that everything that Walter tells the dude about what's going on is actually kind of correct. Yeah. <laughs> like he's he's right in part where he's like he's like, ah, she kidnapped her kidnapped herself. Like which isn't completely true, but it's basically true. Like the dude could just stop doing what he's doing at any given moment. It kind of graded my brain a little bit because I was like, I know what a <laughs> movie character would do and you're not doing it. And uh, it it wasn't making me mad. I was just like I it, it was it was it was strange. <laughs> And then when the dude does do things that seem like the right thing to do in the moment, there's not really a reward. When he has the really clever idea in Jackie Treehorn's, like, penthouse to to do the etching of the paper to try to, like, fit... Like, that's like, a, that's, like, a really smart thing to do in that situation, but there's no reward. It's just, like, And then he gets drugged right after. <laughs> I was reading, um... So most of the wardrobe in the movie is just Jeff Bridges' personal wardrobe. It's so comfy to even I was, look like, at. really frustrated because I was like, oh, my God, like, the dude and I own the same clothes. Like, <laughs> it's like we have good. the same hair and we, we own the same. <laughs> I loved that gag where he gets taken into the police, uh, the, pol- the whatever the fucking the police precinct is called or whatever. In Malibu, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're like, do you have any other ID except a Ralph's car? <laughs> it, it basically Ralph's starts at a Ralph's with him getting half and half yeah. to make right. a drink and then it ends with them you don't see it but they like they like go buy a Folgers can to scatter ashes (laughs) one thing that I like about the dude in this like kind of building off of this is even though he's you know he's he's everything that we've kind of talked about already he also is shown at times as like having a like a pretty good heart like the fact he's one of very few people that goes to see his landlord's like really weird avant-garde play It, it, it would be easy to fall into the trap of like making him dumb cruel instead of just yeah happy-go-lucky dumb yeah and if he wasn't nice enough playing opposite like walter would be tough because walter is so so mean to donnie the entire like i when i was in high school watching this i would like laugh at that all the time and like now when i watch it i feel really sad Poor <laughs> donnie. i, I laughed it's every time cool. i'm sorry it's so funny <laughs> No, it is. It's, like, really funny, but I think when you know, like, how Donnie ends up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see it coming every time, but you kind of can't wait for it every time you know that it's about to be done. Every time you know that Walt's about to go, shut the fuck up. Okay, maybe I just was not paying as att- good attention to Donnie as I should have been, but I felt like I was surprised. Like, it kind of was like, whoa, when he passed away, he died at the end because... Like, I really hadn't been paying much attention to Donnie's character. I think, mm-hmm. like, I was really hyper-focused on, like, the dude and Walter were up to. And it always felt so, like, insignificant when Donnie was, like, around or saying something. So I really wasn't, like, as focused on, like, what he was saying or whatever it was with Donnie. And, yeah, I feel like... I don't know and so I feel like I missed that part of the mm-hmm. movie that I feel like there's just like so many things in this movie where you just gotta like fucking chill out and yeah yeah like there's this whole other thing going on with Donnie Donnie is shown as being pretty good at bowling I don't know if you ever actually see the dude or Walter on screen bowling which I think is funny but Donnie's always bowling strikes and then in the scene that he dies he he doesn't bowl a strike and he makes this face like something is off which like it's really sad now like every time he misses that strike now i'm like oh what a bad night for (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't even know well then i guess my question for you both who have seen it 
more than us seeing it for the first yeah. time is like do you is this really a movie where you really do just like notice something new or mm-hmm. a new storyline or a new like side of it every time you watch it i think that if you watch this movie enough especially with people who like it enough eventually it's kind of like infectious um even if it didn't get to you the first time so i've seen this movie i think in full this may be only like my third or fourth time seeing it fully but i've seen like bits and pieces of it like dozens of times what really struck me right on this watch in particular is like and i guess i'm not entirely sure even what it's saying exactly but like the kind of undercurrent of uh like political commentary as far as walter constantly bringing up vietnam um clearly in real time dealing with his ptsd resulting from like seeing his friends die uh and then at the same time there's constant references to what's happening uh in uh, iraq with desert storm at the time um something that stuck out to me on this watch is like the potential reading of this as like we're all just sort of fodder for the people who run things and it, none of what we do really matters because like what's going on outside of this country is so much deeper and like has way bigger repercussions and the dude reiterates everything that people kind of above him uh say to him like at the very beginning george bush senior says this aggression will not stand and the dude repeats that later uh and then the Big Lebowski and Philip Seymour Hoffman say to the dude, her life was in your hands, dude. And later, like, when he's talking to Walter, he goes, her life was in our hands, man. I don't know. I do feel like that there's there's this something going on, too, in this movie, suggesting that at the point in time that it was made or whatever inspired it about, like, the early 90s and the stuff that Harry's saying is to suggest that even uh, even the slackers like the dude who have kind of designed a life to get away from like normal corporate american behavior they end up like working for the man like with no with no reward and and in very tedious fashion even down to the point like maybe i'm overanalyzing here but like the in the opening credit sequence there's a bob dylan song called uh the man in me that plays and like the opening line of that song he says the man in me will do nearly any task and as for compensation there's little he'll ask so it's like one of those things that i think when you start to kind of add when you add the man in me with him being the time man of the year looking in the mirror him working for the man i do think that there's like a thing going on there that i have to believe is intentional uh especially with like the type of character that the dude is because sam elliott's character the the cowboy stranger guy says uh he says also at the beginning in his opening monologue that like there's like a person for their time and place in every place and every time and the dude was was the person for this particular time and place. And I, I don't know exactly what that means. I really feel like there's something going on there that kind of makes this movie remarkable beyond just the, the easygoing nature of it. Well, yeah, I think, like, uh, the dude, kind of the moments where he gets to just, like, fucking chill out and do nothing and not answer to anyone or, like, be expected to do anything, those were kind of my favorite moments and also were, like, the most like I felt like the character well yeah literally just got to relax and then now the character is like put in these high these high stress in quotes situations and like 
He can't just fucking, like, be on his floor and listen. Listen to whale sounds. Yeah, and then, like, <laughs> whale sounds. <laughs> and, like, take his little ba- bubble bath, his selfie yeah. bubble bath, in front of the no tears shampoo. Once all that fucking crazy, what he thought was crazy shit happens, he just gets to go back to, he gets, he goes back and he does the same thing. And, like, really, he hasn't gotten anything from that experience, you know? And I think, like, instead of being frustrated, he just, like, fucking goes and get, has his, white his like, white Russian and, like, fucking goes to maybe bowl again. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it was kind of interesting to me that there was even a crossover between, like, the dude and the Big Lebowski where, like, he just fucking goes to this guy's house and it makes an appointment with him. I don't know. I don't think we we really get to see those two kinds of characters overlap in a lot of stuff. And, like, especially not in fucking real life, you know? Yeah, and overlapping simultaneously with a character like like a Vietnam veteran character and overlapping with three nihilists. It's like if every kind of person in the world, like, was in this contained, like, it like, kind of met up or, like, interacted, but in this, like, kind of contained situation, you know? Like, they make sure to kind of label themselves as things. Like, the dude calls the chief of Malibu police a fascist. Like, there's a lot of words like that thrown around to describe each character. One of my favorite lines or moments in the movie was when Maude is showing the the (laughs) dude the, like, uh, porn video. And uh, the dude, like points he's like oh i know that guy i know that guy he's a nihilist (laughs) (laughs) i love that maude she uh this is like they're watching they're like watching the first few minutes of this like porn with bunny and carl hongas and she just like turns to him and she's like the story is ludicrous (laughs) (laughs) i do want to bring up just because he is like such a big figure walter is like actually one of my favorite characters in anything ever because of the fact that like Mike kind of mentioned that he's sort of right. Like, he, he kind of figures out the plot, but he's, like, one of my favorite types of characters in that he's this... He thinks of himself as, like, an alpha, like, ideal and constantly wants to put himself in danger and falls flat on his face every single time and also <laughs> loves to loves to bring up, like, his military record and then loves to bring up, like, the Constitution, but he's just really pathetic. And I just think yeah, that's and then it's so like, funny. It's so sad when he's when he's apologizing to the dude that and part, hugs him after he That part blows. did get me it's this really time. Sad. I was like, oh man, yeah. he's hurting. After the ashes blow in his face. Yeah, because um, Donnie's dead and they have to eulogize him. And then Walter just turns the eulogy into him eulogizing all the friends he lost in Vietnam. It's <laughs> like in any other movie, that would be a sad scene. But then he opens the, they have like Donnie's ashes in a coffee can. And he opens it and they blow directly into the dude's face. <laughs> I think the nihilists are onto something, kinda, because like the nihilists don't believe in anything. Nothing means anything, and like that's this movie is is nothing. Like, there's nothing. It's true. There's no payoff. Yeah, no, it's it is it's much ado about nothing, and that's what like the everything that the stranger Sam Elliott says in the intro and in the outro of the movie, like even him as a narrator, is just nonsense. Like none of the stuff means anything. He just kind of like rambles. At the very beginning, he's like, he just keeps going, like, sometimes there's a man 
sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes there's, there's a man. And he goes, and I'm, he goes, I'm talking about the dude here, but sometimes there's a man. I think he even says, like, I lost my train of thought there, which is like, and it's just like nothing. It's just like, it feels like it's trying to, like, the point is to convince us that it's like, he's actually talking about something that matters. Yeah, it does nothing, which it is really cool. Nothing. Which is really cool. I'm I'm actually reading um, a book right now called How to Do Nothing by Jenny oh, nice. O'Dell. Um, it sounds like it sounds like she jokes about it in the book. She's like, oh, I it it I know that this sounds like a manual on how to do nothing, but it really is about like the benefits of how like utility and like usefulness is like a, a capitalist concept, and if you just do nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with you doing nothing. You you ascribe wrongness to nothing because you've been taught that by capitalist values. But you're not wrong for just sitting in a garden sometimes. Yeah, one of the dude's biggest concerns expressed in this movie outside of the, the plot itself is that if he makes too much money, he'll get knocked into the next tax bracket. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> yeah, also the fact that, I mean, I guess just the idea of like yeah, doing nothing, eventually like the things that we kind of like stress ourselves out over usually work themselves out like specifically like in the context of like working or like your job like those people's jobs unless you're actually like you know a doctor or something that involves people's lives if you're a doctor don't do nothing yeah don't do nothing (laughs) like i think about all the times i was stressed in college working as like a telemarketer that shit's meaningless like i'd I'd got nothing out of that other than extra stress and you you get a lot of benefit out of like learning to embrace that nothing um, but I think something that is very funny is that in a way this movie kind of is set off specifically because of the capitalist concern of the dude needs to replace his rug. Like that's, yeah, yeah. The whole movie would not happen if he wasn't like, man, I really need to get another rug. During the pandemic, I've learned to live a little bit more like the dude and be able to enjoy that without getting stressed about kind of pursuing some of the things that I'm usually very nervous about like pursuing and stuff like I've definitely had days now where I don't beat myself up for laying on the floor with my eyes closed just listening to something stupid like bowling tapes yeah I like that kind of yeah I definitely recognize that too because I know like I know so many people in the beginning of like like when the pandemic was starting to get like people were starting to care about it we're like, I need to be productive. I can't. Yeah. Like, I need to come out better uh, than yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like self improvement for the sake of self improvement. It's it's just, yeah. Survival was not the first concern. It was how do I make use of all this time? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and that's the thing is like I feel like now at least like I am, and it seems like you guys are at, too at this point where it's like you're able to just realize like a lot of we're like kind of we're in like the position in our lives to realize that like a lot of the stuff we cared about before we're worried about kind of just like it didn't really mean anything and it wasn't as serious as we thought it was and it's kind of just like a construct you know (laughs) and realize like i don't know i just think about like yeah my thought of like i need to make sure that i'm like fucking like working all the time before I'm filling every single minute of my day with something like productive, like definitely feels like, well, like now that I don't like now that I simply just don't care as much about that thing, 
it's I realized it was never as serious as I thought it was, you know? Mm-hmm, and yeah. the only thing that was keeping it was like the state of mind or whatever. I'm thinking dude terms now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that the dude definitely, I think I did like at the end, I liked a lot when in his nothingness when Sam Elliott was like, you know, was kind of just summarizing what the dude's vibe was and kind of how we can afford to kind of just like chill out and coast every once in a while you know i think that's definitely a thing of like privilege i like i think i I liked that about this movie was like i I kind of am bummed that i went in with like once i realized like my boyfriend when we were watching he's like oh apparently this movie is about nothing and i was like oh okay so i expected it was just gonna be the dude hanging out Mm -hmm. but then i got tricked when I there was this big I thought this bigger plot was gonna happen, right? Yeah. I was so hyper focused on that plot that uh-huh. I wasn't able to enjoy like the like the rest of like just like mm-hmm. the hu- like the humor or the like other things because I was like something has to happen. I was kind of falling into that too, but then it, it got to a point where it was so convoluted that I was like, oh wait, I think I need to st- take a step back. I don't think that's the point here. I don't think the uh, the um, right. the kidnapping and and um, all these gears that have been set in motion are the point. Uh, well, that shit's just as meaningless as, like, him just fucking, like, sitting on his floor or... Yeah. yeah. You know? Or, like, it taking is. a half and half at a Ralph <laughs> and opening it so he can smell it and make sure it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's also also as meaningless as John Turturro's character, who's, like, such a pop culture staple. Like, where, I mean, his it's like he serves no purpose. He's the guy that they're gonna have to bowl against in their tournament at some point, and we never get to that. <laughs> yeah, he pokes his head in in, like, one scene later in the movie, and then you, you expect the final scene to be the tournament and it's just not there I, it's weird because i do think that the the jesus is the one kind of like big element of this movie that for me feels the most dated as far as like i think introducing that character is fun but john Turturro is white which i didn't realize when i first saw it and oh, in, shit. I, yeah he plays a lot of latinx there. characters in a lot of movies he's like a just slightly dark complexioned italian to the point where um because i i read about it and i guess the coen brothers had seen him in a play where he was basically just playing this character and they thought that it would be fun to add to this script because there's already so many i guess larger than life characters um but at the same time it's like that, that was the one thing rewatching where i was like ooh, because there, there's like other instances in the movie where walter will say something off color or like the big lebowski says something off color um, but for the most part there aren't too many instances of things in like other comedies from the era where i'll watch it and be like oh yikes i was gonna say too he's he's such a like visual staple of this movie for a lot of people and he's definitely something that me i, I mean i've seen this movie five plus times like i don't need a minute at all and i don't think it would change how i feel about it after I watched this, I felt kind of like conflicted on Maud's character because like she was like one she was like the only woman character who had like yeah. more line I mean like Tara Reads in it for like two seconds. Yeah. Um and I was like kind of I don't know, I felt like in a way in my head I was like, Well, if they just took Maud out of this, nothing would change. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think like after talking to you guys, I realized like that a lot of things in this movie don't really like you could take out and it wouldn't, Mm -hmm. 
you know, but I think like, I don't know if that makes sense, but no, uh, yeah, it it does. Does. no, I think it makes perfect sense. She's not introduced till a little later in the movie and it's, it's, she doesn't have a ton of screen time despite feeling very significant to me it's when I like think about this movie. Build, I think. Yeah. It's Julianne Moore, so you're like, oh, it has to be here. It's Julianne Moore. Right. And also, yeah. like, the, 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 the way just the character looked, she's so striking that you're like, oh, she has something big to do here, right? And she also then... has, like, a transatlantic accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny to me. Like, everything she says, she's talking like this. Yeah, And, yeah. like, no one else talks like no that. Yeah. yeah, and she's, like, as a feminist, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, she definitely is, like, I don't know. I mean, it was hard not to like her because she's Julianne Moore, and mm-hmm. it was such a fun character, you know? But uh, it was definitely just, like, another part of the movie where I was, like, Nothing means anything in this. <laughs> All right. I mean, I feel like that's probably that's probably a lot that's that we've so said much, yeah. about the Big Lebowski. I'll riddle you this. Yeah. <laughs> um, why is this your guys's desert island? Yeah. Why is this pick? your guys's? In in a weird way, this is like this is a desert island movie that I know is a desert island movie. Um, but I think it clicked rewatching it like right before we jumped on this recording. Um, this is a movie that's really influenced a lot of the things that I like in comedy and like the things that I put in the sketches that I write for Pageant, whose show is uh, September 27th uh, at 9 p.m. at twitch.tv.packtheater. But um, just the idea of like putting characters that are inept in like big cinematic situations is something that I think is hilarious. I think like ineffectual uh, masculine dudes who have like clearly trauma they need to sort through that they're not really getting help for is it's like that itself is not funny but like putting that in something like the big lebowski or in a sketch can be very funny i think the big lebowski is similar to like rocky horror picture show and when the culture of a movie is so big you know i'm not as immersed in either rocky horror or big lebowski as so many people are but i i have a fondness for both of them that it's kind of fun to even if you're not one of like the in crowd, you you can at least like relate a little bit. I think it's fun to kind of feel like you're a part of, of a little thing like that because I don't think that there's uh, outside of mega franchises, there's kind of fewer movies I would say than than other types of things that kind of have that same type of one-off cult massive subculture sensation vibe. Um, so I think just from like a film standpoint, it's it's something that it's just fun to watch and kind of be like, how like why this and how did it happen? Uh, I think for that alone, it's it's one that I just kind of appreciate every time I rewatch it for those reasons. Thank you so much for uh, being our first guest stars. This is fun. I mean, they're getting on um, the, their raft right now back to the mainland. Yeah, they're getting back on the raft. They're not rescuing us. We're, we're, we would love to be rescued, but they actually don't have room, which is really unfortunate. It's full, and, and we just we blew up the raft. Yeah, every time one of us wasn't talking, we were blowing up the raft. It's an inflatable raft. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, uh, my, my personal handle for my Instagram and my Twitter is at CatShitGirl, our podcast. Uh, it is at Oughts to be Queer. Ought to be queer, all one word, um, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, my personal accounts are at <laughs> Carrot Flover, but it's like 
It doesn't make sense. They'll pro- it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can find us on, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Thoughts to be clear. Follow at Pageant Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. That's Harry Hyman and I sketch team. Oh my god, we have um, so much going on, guys. We are so, so it's like busy. so busy. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Desert Island Movie Pod. Instagram and Twitter is at DIM underscore podcast. And don't forget to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts because five stars helps a lot. And and uh, go give Jaime and Sarah five stars too because that'll help them a lot too. And it doesn't take that much time to do it. We're waving right now at Jaime and Sarah as they drift away. And, uh, definitely a little disappointed that we can't go with them, but I guess that's the... Them's the breaks. Them's uh, the breaks. If if they, I mean, sir, if you guys see any of my loved ones, tell them that I'm on the island. If you can, what? I don't know. What uh, you say? What? They're too far. It's okay. <laughs> so next week, as a little treat, we'll be uh, enjoying the new Charlie Kaufman Netflix joint. I'm thinking of ending things. Until next time. Stay desert. Stay island. Stay movies. Stay podcast. <laughs>